Welcome to The Intersection, the podcast about artificial intelligence and healthcare. Hi everybody, this is Maxime. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Today in episode 5 of The Intersection podcast, we are discussing a PINAS paper titled Facebook Language Predicts Depression in Medical Records. So I assume everybody knows about Facebook. Um, so let's ask Jean um, here with me today to tell us a little bit about depression before um, talking about the machine learning that has been done and, and the results. Yeah, so hi uh, Maxime. Uh, well, what people call depression is actually called major depressive disorder in medicine. And it's actually a pretty common and serious medical illness that can uh, negatively affect you, uh, how you feel, the way you think, how you act. So how is um, depression typically diagnosed today? What are the symptoms? Well, you have to look at a few symptoms and the, the diagnosis relies on a combination of, di- of symptoms, right? It's not because you have one of those that you are depressed. Mm. You need to have several of those and, and in a long, in a, during a long period of time. I see. And how, how is it assessed that I, I present those symptoms? Is that through... Um, a rec- medical recording or is it through like kind of talking with a therapist and with a medical doctor? Well, there are scales, but basically the first step would be to t- discuss with your medical, yeah, like your PCP and then uh, with, a, with a psychiatrist, for example. But let's focus on the symptoms first. Okay. So the symptoms include feeling sad or having a depressed mood, uh, having a loss of interest or pleasure in activities that you used to enjoy, uh, changes in appetite like weight loss or weight gain unrelated to dieting trouble sleeping or even sleeping too much a loss of energy or increased fatigue increase in uh, purposeless physical activity for example pacing or slowed movements and speech so uh, this is typically reported by other people not yourself feeling worthless or guilty uh, having difficulty thinking and even if in the most ex- extreme cases having thoughts of death of suicide so you, it's a whole spectrum of things it's not only one of those symptoms I see and what I can think already is that it might be quite difficult to actually screen for depression because for most of the symptoms that you describe right now uh, even myself that I don't consider myself depressed right now right I experience them on almost a weekly basis, right? I exactly. assume the screening is quite challenging. Exactly, yeah. And, and that's why it's important to have to keep in mind the, 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 the concept of having several of those mm. and also having several of those for at least two weeks in a row. So it's everyone, every, each of us has some like down and up times. I see. So it's important that if these downs keep coming up and keep getting longer and longer then you might need and seek help i see and also so it means you have to go see a therapist which is quite an important step right and then you have to kind of provide an accurate assessment of whether you have experienced those symptoms in the past weeks right which is not something that is necessarily trivial either because those are quite qualitative yeah. symptoms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, you also should keep in mind that some medical conditions, typically thyroid problems, brain tumor, or a vitamin deficiency, could actually mimic 
the symptoms of depression. Mm. So before you actually diagnose the depression, you really need to rule out any other medical condition that could mimic that, right? So it's like, it's not a default diagnosis, but it's not the first diagnosis that you need to take, to make. And does depression... um I guess what is the scope of the of the disease? Well, it's actually it's a disease, right? That's how it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a disease with, with very serious consequences, and it's actually pretty frequent. So, for example, one in six people, so that's basically sixteen percent, will experience a depression at some point in their life. Okay, so one in six people basically means that if I consider a family, let's say a family unit of six people. In every family unit, uh, there is, in average, one person who is affected by that disorder. So it's a pretty, um, pretty important topic, I assume. Right, and you should also uh, remember that depression can strike at any time of your life, but on average, the first episodes appear during the late teens to the mid twenties, and uh, unfortunately, women are also more likely than men to experience depression. I see, and so. Um, So what can you do when you have depression? How important is it to be screened? And then I guess to be diagnosed um, on the outcome, right? Right, well, because depression is actually a very treatable uh, illness, it's actually actually very important to get screened uh, because um, once you get screened and diagnosed, then you can get the appropriate uh, treatment, right? So treatments uh, usually include psychotherapy, medication, or in the most extreme cases, electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, but there are also a number of things that people can do to help reduce the symptoms of depression. Uh, for example, for many people, regular exercise helps create positive feelings and improve mood. Mm-hmm. Getting enough uh, quality sleeps on a regular basis, eating a healthy diet, avoiding alcohol, uh, all these stuff can help a lot. In that uh, in that regard, mm. and machine learning is actually also used um, with all of these activities that you mentioned, right? Machine learning used to to help, let's say, track the, the amount of calories in your diet. Machine learning being used to make better um, sleeping recommendations and so on. But that's not the topic of today's article. But it's interesting to see, right, that the the extent of the impact that machine learning can have. Um, for that particular problem. So let's focus uh, on the scope of that article, which is basically screening. And it's extremely important in the the case of depression because most people with depression do not get the care they need, Mm -hmm. even if treatment exists. For example, only 20% of people uh, treated for depression have received what the National Institute for Mental Health defines as a minimally adequate treatment. So So that leaves 80% of people not getting the right treatment. So you mean four out of five patients do not get the treatment? Yeah, because they are underdiagnosed or because they do not get simply, even if they are diagnosed, the right treatment. I see. So hence the the importance of, of screening. Better screening, better diagnosis, and better treatments. That makes sense, yeah. And this is actually exactly what this article is trying to tackle, right? Um, Everybody, I guess most of the people um, use Facebook. Um, People are very active on Facebook. People post. And through the post, they reveal things about the way they feel. They reveal things about um, their friends and, and so on. And so, in fact, what this article is trying to do is to build a somewhat non-invasive or effortless uh, prediction model of depression 
using um, contents from um, the Facebook profile of, of a given individual. So let me say a bit more about the inputs that this, that this um, prediction model takes, right? So there are five inputs. One is the textual content of the Facebook post. So what uh, do you write in your post? The second one is how long your posts are. The third one is how frequently do you post? The fourth one is, um, is there a particular patterns in the way in which you post, right? More at night, more in the day, and so on. And then the last thing, which is, doesn't really have to do with Facebook, but is an additional kind of input, is the demographics, right? So some variables about your, your background and so on. Okay, and so now we know the inputs. What is the actual output of the model? So this model outputs the probability between zero and one for an individual to be experiencing depression based on this input. Um, and the way that this model is trained, right, so we have inputs, we have outputs, is using supervised learning. So in other words, the parameters of the model are adjusted to maximize the accuracy of the model prediction on a cohort of patients for whom the presence or absence of depression has been previously established and is available in their medical records. Okay, and let me just maybe take that opportunity to discuss what is the difference between supervised and unsupervised learning. Yes, so that's an, that's an important point. So in supervised learning, we are basically training a model on a data set for which we know the input and we know the output, and we are basically trying to learn a function that maps, let's say, x to y, input x, output y. Right. In unsupervised learning, um, a simple definition would be to say that we are trying to learn a mapping from X to Y, but we don't know uh, the ground truth Y for the um, training samples X. So in unsupervised learning, we are basically trying to find pattern that define a population or That's any right. kind of outcome without actually knowing the outcome. Exactly. And one of the things that um, makes unsupervised learning um, quite um, important and in fact even some pioneers right in, in AI say that it might be the future is that you don't need to have um, labels right right so you can gather much bigger data sets more, more yeah and as we already discussed labels especially in healthcare are extremely costly extremely rare so being able to uh, do prediction without any label would be a huge huge uh, step up exactly and this is actually, to come back to the article, um, that's a nice example of this, because this article extracts the ground truth label from the medical records of the patients. Right. Which mm. means, which means right, that for every patient in the training set, you have to access, to have access to the medical records, you have to extract that label, you have to verify that the label is, is accurate, and you have also a lot of other logistical issues with this. Right, and this is what actually is making the, 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 the main quality of that article because the, we know that there were already other studies published about depression prediction from Facebook, but these previous studies uh, like were more based on uh, declarative labels from patients. So a patient saying, I am depressed, I am non-depressed, which is very different from actually using the ground truth from uh, a real uh, medical record. That's right. So yeah, in fact, this article um, uses an in-house data set from one academic center in the US um, that has about um, six, 700 patients 
And in that group of 700 patients, there is about 100 patients um, who have had a diagnosis of depression in their medical records. So again, like we discussed during the last episode, a very significant class imbalance in that data set. Definitely. Yeah. Here you have a, an imbalance which, which is of basically for every, out of, yeah, out of seven patients, only one um, as a positive label in the sense. Okay, so maybe you can like tell us the performances of that model. Is that good? Yes, so the performance, um, the performance is all right. I think that the goal of this paper is not so much to establish um, an amazing performance in the sense that the performance actually is of the same order as the performance of the algorithms that have been reported previously. What I found most interesting in this article is actually um, to make an assessment of what are the inputs that actually uh, are the most important when it comes to predicting depression. Right, and in that regard, again, we are reaching to interpretability for the models, knowing which feature is, in, is important to do prediction. Exactly. And it turns out that the model that is used in that study is in fact quite simple. It's, um, um, it's a logistic regression model in a few words. Uh, and the fact that this model is simple actually simplifies is, its interpretation. And so the main finding of this study is that the feature that by far is the most relevant in predicting depression is a language, the Facebook language that is used in the post of the patient. Um, and I can say a little bit about how the authors actually have assessed this, right? So they have taken, uh, for example, one Facebook post from one uh, individual in the data sets. And from that Facebook, Facebook post, they extract language topics using the Leyden Dirichlet allocation method. They extract language topics that this Facebook post um, basically exhibit, right? And just for the sake of discussion, you mentioned that the algorithm is basically a logistic regression. Yes. Is that actually machine learning? Can we discuss that? Um, yeah, that's, that's a tricky question. I, I think it depends really on, on what is the, the definition of, of machine learning, but if you think of um, even some of the most um, complicated networks today, deep neural networks, for example, let's say deep convolutional neural networks in computer vision, the building block of those networks, right? When you look at a single neuron, this is essentially a logistic regression. Yeah, exactly. So I would say, um, I would say that the question is not the answer to that question is not necessarily that important. It's a matter of language, but my answer would be that I think it's okay to call this machine learning. Okay, and maybe we can also stress on the fact that logistic regression is much more uh, easy to understand because it's less complex than a deep neural network. So that is in that particular setting an advantage of that technique. Exactly. And actually to come back to my answer, I think that what is important is rather than trying to um, to say that logistic regression is not machine learning, but machine learning is something else that have emerged in the past you know, decade, it's actually a better answer to say that it is machine learning and to recognize that machine learning have been around, has been around for actually a long time. The only thing that really is evolving and changing is the complexity of the model architecture that we use. Right, so just to give a little bit of context, there is some kind of war waging between statisticians and machine learning or data scientists. But what you're saying basically is that 
we need to go a little bit beyond that and focus on the um, interest and the importance of the question that is asked in a given study. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and so to come back to this, yeah. So to come back to this study, uh, so a simple, as we said, right, a simple logistic regression model that takes a few different inputs to predict the probability of experiencing depression. The main finding of this article is that the most important feature is the language in your Facebook post. And it turns out that the authors are able to extract what are the topics that they have found to be most positively associated with a future depression diagnosis. And those, in fact, are, are, are pretty common sense. So for example, this is depressed mood and feelings. So words like tears, cry, topic of loneliness, if you write, for example, the word miss in your post, topics of hostility with a word like hate, somatic complaints, if you write about hurt and sick, and any word that also refer to medicine, like hospital and pain. Okay, great. Anything else to add? Um, yeah, I think maybe we can close by um, obviously reminding that this is an important medical issue, right? Depression is a very debilitating illness that affects too many people in the US and worldwide. And given the number of Facebook users around the world, the potential of screening individuals via their Facebook activity is a very appealing prospect that we hope to see reach its promise in the future. Yeah, I really, really agree with you. But just to give the other side of the coin here, we also know, and there, has, there have been studies published about that, that Facebook, uh, I mean, Facebook users are more prone to depression than other people. So we need also to keep that in mind, and it, it could also be a bias, a potential bias of that study, but still, I agree with you. Yeah, you mean, yeah, the, yeah, if you step back even more and look at the net effect, you mean, of, of having Facebook, yeah, th this goes, yeah, the scope beyond the scope of this study and definitely would be worth uh, in investigating. What I, what I take away from this article personally um, is the potential not only of screening potentially for depression, you know, through, through Facebook activity, but also the potential of reacting to the prediction that will be made by such a model. Yeah, actionable outcome. Exactly. For example, you know, if this model were to find out that a Facebook user is depressed and maybe in the worst case, you know, is depressed with thoughts of death and, and, and suicide attempt, that there could be a reaction from Facebook, for example, by suggesting um, positive messages or ads for mental health resources and, and so on. Uh, the second thing that I take away is that um, data sharing um, is often seen as harmful, right? There's a lot of articles in the media about the danger of data sharing, but really what this article shows is that if it's not used maliciously, it also has a real positive potential when used to tackle issues related to human health. Yes, exactly. What we need to keep in mind is that everything is not black or white. It's it's a balance. And it's also the responsibility of the people who own that data. And we are talking about Facebook, but we, we could also discuss about medical data from the hospital. The responsibility of the people owning the data to actually do something with it for the better uh, for the better good of everyone, everyone. so it's not it's not as easy as do not use that data or use that data but 
we need to try to to think about how can we use that data exactly. in the best way possible. Yeah, I think we are entering a new age, right? And somehow we we are not yet ready for it in the sense of we are not we don't have yet the um, the right laws, the right maybe even attitude or way of thinking about what to do with this data, what is right, what is not, and how to you know um, how to basically um, handle this. Right. Okay, so that's it for today. Uh, we hope you liked it. Uh, if you enjoyed it, subscribe. And uh, well, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Merci, à bientôt. This is The Intersection.